Okay, hello. Welcome back to Sweet Sometimes Sour. I am back this week. I am very sorry for not posting this episode last week. I was very ill. Still not sure if it was COVID or not, to be honest with you. I thought it was a cold. Now people are making me question it. It is past now, so what's done is done. Anyway, it was horrible. An awful, awful cold um, to my knowledge. <laughs> Um, but I'm feeling much better. I'm still a little tired, a little run down. It's just that time of year. Um, yeah. So thank you for letting me have that week. Um, and because of that, I'm going to be hustling my ass off. Um, (laughs) this episode that I have today is fan-fucking-tastic. I love my guest, Emily, and I hope I get to talk to Emily more in the future and have more episodes with her because our conversation was fantastic. It is about periods. Ladies, gentlemen, we are going to learn stuff today. I learned things from Emily about my body that I never knew before. And I'm so excited to provide that kind of education. If you knew about it, comment or send me a DM and just tell me, you know what, Hallie, you're just extremely uneducated. That is very possible. Okay. But (laughs) nonetheless, it was a great episode. I'm going to start the episode, A, by giving my sweet, my sweet and sour moments of the week. Sour, very obviously, has been fighting a cold. Being sick is just the most awful thing. I spent two days in bed and I'm still recovering. Um, Just, it's been no fun. That is definitely the sour of the last week or two. The sweet, um... I had a really great therapy session today. I have started going to in-person therapy and I love it. I love it. I love the new, this new therapist. She's fantastic. I had a really, really great therapy session today. Um, another sweet, hmm, I just feel like I need to balance out the, the illness that I've had. <laughs> um, I moved around my room and it's nice. I just like to change up my space. It makes me feel better. Um, I've also been doing a lot of retail therapy. I know it's Christmas time and it's time for giving, but I'm giving to myself also this year. Can't lie. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of work and trying to make myself feel better. I have been seriously suffering with the winter blues this year. I'm having the hardest time getting my shit together and just after recovering from the cold um I've started to really get things together and I am seeing the light at the end of the tunnel so things are looking up and I just always remember that life is sweet and sour not every single moment is going to be sweet and sometimes things are going to be sour and that's just a-okay anyway before this episode I have a couple clips of my friends and family sharing some of their period stories. They are hilarious. It is so crazy that 50% of the population goes through this every single month and we don't talk about it more openly. So the stories that my friends and family shared are hilarious. Thank you so much to you guys who shared them. I actually don't really have any crazy period stories. I just have always had horrible pain, which you'll hear me talk about in the episode. Pain has always just been really, really bad for me. And I was really young when I got mine and I didn't understand it. Um, I was actually camping and I remember like seeing the blood and freaking out. And I think I was even like hiding like 
underwear, like my bloody underwear, like in the trailer or something. I can't remember. I have a very vague memory of that moment. My memory of my childhood is very foggy and I don't really know why. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't have any wild, crazy period stories. I wish I did, but I guess maybe I'm lucky. Maybe where like I didn't have anything embarrassing happen to me. I made up in pain, you know? Anyway, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode and relate and laugh and if you're a man listening I hope this educates you and I hope you feel sympathy for the women in your life here is the period episode let's start with my friends and family and we're gonna get right into the episode with Emily enjoy my period story um i was in seventh grade um there was absolute absolutely zero signs of me getting my period my boobs were still inverted um no hair growing whatsoever felt like i was six wasn't very mature no sign did not did not even have a thought of my period didn't even really understand the whole period thing anyways anyways i was in Seventh grade, like I said, it was during a recess. I used to help it help out in the kindergarten rooms with my cousin Megan. And anyways, I went to the washroom and obviously I looked at my underwear and I saw what was my period. Um, and my first initial thought was, oh my God, I just shit myself. I pooed my pants and, and there's poo in my pants. And I shit my my pants. I there's poo in my underwear. Like what is the ne- what are the next steps that I take? I was obviously very upset with myself because I'm in grade seven. I didn't even realize I shit myself, and again, no idea that this was my period because it's brown. So how, like I my first thing was I pooed my pants. So anyways, <laughs> I was like holy shit, literally. I have to go tell someone. And my cousin Megan, who actually got her period a week before me, again, not a very smart seventh grader. I didn't clue in that maybe my cousin and I, same age, she got hers, I might, I would get mine. No, pooed myself is what I thought. Um, so I go to Megan and I'm like, Megan, like, I, I poo my pants at school and I don't really know what to do. Like, I was like, kind of like, can I show you? And she's like, um, you're an idiot. And I'm like, what? She's like, you got your period. So that was really, really, really fun. I, after that, when she said that, I was like, okay, obviously I got my period. Oh my God. I thought I was like, I had like no like muscles in my ass. And now my shit's just falling out. Like I, I actually thought that I pooed myself. My cousin Megan, God bless her heart to this day, kept me in line. I realized it was my period. I went on with my day thinking I was a woman. Just felt different, really, from that day on. I got home, took a bubble bath, and um, my mom came home, and I was like, Mom, I gotta tell you something. You better sit down. I got my poo period. I got it real good. So, and yeah. So, I pooed myself is what the, the, uh, the story is about, is that I thought my period was poo. So, there you go. Uh, here is my first period story. I had some 
a little education for my sister, my older sister. Um, so when I saw it, I pretty much knew what it was. But my first thought when I saw my underwear was, I hope this is shit. I hope I just, I actually hope I just shit my pants. I hope I pooed myself instead of what I think it actually is. I was praying that it was not my period. And it was. It was great. And also, of course, it was a day I needed to go swimming with my entire family at my house. So I had my mom, my sister, and my aunt all in the bathroom trying to help me put a tampon in, which was not exciting at all. Because you don't want those questions like, oh, why'd you swimming? And it's like, oh my god, I don't want to tell my uncle why I'm not swimming right now. Um, but yeah, my my sister, my mom, my aunt were helping. And the best part was my aunt was like, do you want me to just put it up in there for you? And I was like, absolutely not. That is actually the last thing that I want right now. Um, so yeah, that was a really fun experience. But yeah, that was my the beginning of this beautiful journey as a woman. Okay, okay. So my first period was... I think it was like the end of summer after grade five, um, going into like the beginning of grade six was my timeline. So at that point, like kind of knew that a period was a thing. They didn't really teach it to us in school. Um, didn't, didn't really know much about it. So I'm at summer camp and I, you know, I'm not really feeling great. Like my stomach's kind of hurty, hurting and I was like, oh, you know, I must have eaten something just like off. Didn't really connect the dots, had, had no idea. And so I went to the washroom and looked down and my, my underwear was red. I had no idea that I could have gotten my period. None. No idea. So I was like, fuck, what? I thought there was something seriously wrong with me. I thought I was like dying or something. Had no clue that this could have been a period. Zero idea. So I st I'm sitting in the washroom freaking out and then, you know, pull it together. I'm like, okay, what do I do next? Like, I just, I have to go and, you know, change my pants and change my underwear. So I like scamper back off to my little cabin change my underwear and then I'm like fuck like what do I do with this like this is embarrassing like I'm dying something is seriously wrong with me like what what do I do I had no idea so I think I just like shoved my underwear in the back pocket of like a suitcase or something right it's like no one can see this like no one can know I'm dying I have can't do anything about it so I'm like okay whatever like continue on with my day and the next time I go to the bathroom and I'm like oh my god it's it's back it's happening again. I'm, I'm still dying. So yeah, still just, I think I just shoved some toilet paper in my pants. I was like, what the fuck? Like, what am I going to do? I'm at summer camp. My mom's not here, but I also at the same time was like terrified to tell my mom, like, how does your daughter go to your mom and be like, mom, I'm dying. Like, that's scary. So meanwhile, you know, I knew there was like period products, things to use for your period. Um, you know, like from the commercials, like, uh, always and tampax whatever right but in the commercials they use blue liquid so my young self just believed that it was blue liquid your your period was blue 
in school, they, they kind of told us maybe about a period. Later on, maybe like grade seven, grade seven, grade eight, they, they said that it was blood and it was red. But up until that point, up until I got my period, I thought it was blue. So I look down and I see red in my underwear. No, and I was dying. I, I, I was lucky if I made it home from summer camp. Got home, I, I think I waited like a day or two maybe just because I didn't know how to tell my mom that I was dying. I had no idea. Sat down on the couch, bawling my eyes out and just, mom, I'm, I'm dying. I, goodbye, like I don't know how much longer I have left. No, and she, she looks at me and she goes, honey, you're a woman. This is your period. And I was like, no one told me it would be blood. So yeah, learned it's blood and not blue liquid that comes out of you. So that was a huge shock. Um, yeah. Uh, and then a side note, my sister didn't know that it happened more than once. She thought, you know, you get your first period. It was one and done. It was, it's over. So yeah, hope you enjoyed. This is my worst period story. It's kind of more embarrassing slash funny, I guess. Um, so I ride horses and I was in a riding lesson, which is fine. Everything was fine, but, you know, I bled through a little, which obviously is normal. And I was at, got home, and I was like, crap, like, it got in my riding pants. And so I went to my racement, and I started scrubbing the blood out. And I don't know what my dad thought I was doing, but he came downstairs, and he was making fun of me, saying that I pooped my pants. And he really didn't understand at first and like just taking the heat he was making fun of me being like oh you freaking didn't go bathroom on time you freaking pooed yourself and I was just scrubbing harder and getting more upset just because I didn't want to tell him and then I finally just gave in and I turned around and I looked at him and I was like you know I'm a girl and then we just kind of like looked at each other and his face just like dropped and went completely white because he knew what he did. And then he just turned around and walked away and I could hear my mom laughing from upstairs. And uh, he's never said anything since or has bothered me when he's noticed. <laughs> and that is my story. He didn't talk to me for a little bit after that, but he dug his own grave. So yeah, that's that's my story. While I was in my massage, I was literally like riddling off things. I was like, hormones, what do I want to ask? I have so many questions. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, everyone, this is Emily. <laughs> I'm probably not also going to be using Hi, the, <laughs> I'm also not going to use the video. I have not grown. I have not used the zoom video yet because I just can't be bothered to put makeup on for these. <laughs> so <laughs> it won't be happening. So right. <laughs> Emily, you are, fr- you have your brand or your Instagram is say yes to nourish. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your profession. What do you do? 
Yeah. So I'm a registered dietitian um, with a special interest and special focus in women's health and eating disorder care. Um, and within women's health, I do a lot in terms of menstrual health education or period health education. Um, I kind of, my brand actually started with a blog when I was going through my degree. I wanted to just write about food and, and wellness. Um, and it kind of blossomed into this kind of, I was writing really regularly. And when Instagram came out, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make this part of like my blog. And then once I was finished all of my training and my internship and had my licensing and whatnot, I'm like, I am going to start putting kind of all of these pieces together. And so now Say Yes to Nourish is kind of the alias that I operate under, even though I consult for a couple different teams. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how that kind of came to fruition over the past five, six years, I want to say. That's so cool. I, I love that you have a special, like you specialize in um, like menstrual care as well, because I think that's just a topic that we all kind of have been told to push under the rug and to not talk about openly. And like literally 50% of the population deals with it. <laughs> right. It's, it's so interesting to me because, and I think I had said this to you when we were first meeting that we very much put the onus on, you know, women and people with periods that, oh yeah, you should probably take care of that, but we're not going to give you any of the resources to do so. And so you're just kind of left hanging like, okay, hi, I am bleeding once a month and I don't know what to do about it. It's so true. And I mean, I got mine super young. I mean, I felt like it was super young, but I've been told all the girls get them sooner. I got it at 10 years old. Um, and at the time I had no education. So like in school, they didn't tell me anything. Like my mom hadn't had that conversation with me yet. I was like the oldest cousin on one side of my family and like second oldest on the other, but like, you know, that I was 10 years old. No one had that conversation with me yet. So I just had it happen to me and I was camping and I was like, uh, uh, I don't know what this is. <laughs> right. I was really lucky. So both of my parents work in healthcare. My dad's a physiotherapist. My mom's a registered nurse. So we've been having, you know, healthcare body conversations for a long time, but because I grew up in the Catholic school system, yes, uh, we didn't talk about bodies too much aside from don't have sex before you get married because it's bad and you'll go to hell. <laughs> uh, and so we didn't talk about periods either. And so my first period was a really positive experience. I remember growing up and wanting so badly to get a period, which feels so weird to say because everybody dreads their first period. And I was there like, oh my God, I feel a cramp. It must be my period and not a period because all of the girls in my class were getting their periods. I think I was probably around the same age, like 10 or 11, I want to say. And like all these other girls getting their periods and talking about, you know, oh, my cramps and oh yeah, I'm just changing my tampon. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that so badly. And then getting my period over the summer um, and being like, mom, I got my period. And she was like, awesome, cool. Okay, well, um, you're a woman now, give me a big hug. And that was the end of that conversation. I remember crying, being like, I got my period. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I did not have an experience. I remember thinking I was the only one, like no girls had talked about it. I was like this 10 year old keeping the secret. Like I'm dealing with this and I don't think anyone else is. No one had told me they had theirs or what it even was. I was shocked nonetheless. Like I was Absolutely. Like, what is going on? Am I okay? Um, yeah, it was, I don't have many like bad stories of it, ha- like bad things are happening, but I did have really bad period pain. So for, pretty much from the very beginning, my pain was like excruciating. I would miss school. I would pass out and throw up from the pain. Um, like I had bad cramps, um, often would get nauseous. I have this weird thing where my legs hurt on my period. Like I get really bad, like leg cramping. Mm-hmm. And every time I say that, people are like, what the fuck? Like, I've never experienced that. <laughs> and then uh, there was one moment where I, it was really bad. I passed out. I just, it was a bad experience. And my mom was like, hey, enough's enough. She took me to the doctor and they put me on birth control at like 16 years old, 16 or 17, I think. And I've been on it ever since, which comes with a lot more. A whole other gift set. You, so if you try this today, you will also receive all of depression, the weight gain, exactly mood swings. Your headaches are going to be awful, but at least you will have a regular period and you won't get pregnant. But only yeah. if you take it perfectly. And yeah, and maybe your cramps will not be as bad, but they'll still be there. Exactly, they'll they'll be there. Uh, they might not be so bad. Might yeah. You might not throw up and pass out anymore. That's all that's going to (laughs) happen. Exactly. Well, and some of the stories that, you know, we, that we have around periods around, you know, even birth control too, are to me, I just think are absolutely, they're kind of funny, but they're crazy. Um, One of the girls I remember growing up with, we, you know, going through a, a Catholic school, you do a bunch of church masses and stuff. And so for our graduation, you get all dressed up and nice and whatever. And I remember her so clearly um, in our little group of girls, we're all getting pictures taken and her saying, I have to, you know, I have to pee so bad, but my mom helped me put a tampon in. And so if I'm wearing a tampon, I can't pee. And back then we were like, oh my God. Yeah. Cause that's the same place. That's where it all goes. You can't use the bathroom if you wear a tampon oh because it just God. plugs everything up. And I think about it in retrospect and I'm like, how carry is that? Like, just plug it up and you can't do anything <laughs> and you're just going to have to hold it, man. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe that we didn't talk about how those are completely separate holes of the body that you can yeah. do those things if you so choose and you probably should. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if that's the case, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> a tampon does not fit in there. I will tell you that right now. A tampon won't fit in there. <laughs> You cannot put it in the room. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you probably could put it in the wrong hole, but that's moving backwards, not forwards. (laughs) You'll notice. (laughs) Exactly. I was thinking today while I was having my massage, um, the kind of related kind of not, but I was like, it's kind of crazy how like, I just literally get naked in front of strangers. Like I'm like, I'm, you know, getting a massage and I'm like, I have nothing on. And then I was thinking like, I also go get like Brazilian waxes from time to time, fully exposed or like all these procedures that us as women do. And -hmm. it's just like normal, but like, I'm quite literally exposing myself to other people. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. It, and it's so interesting too, when we compare experiences like that, when we're menstruating, when we're not menstruating that, yeah, on a regular daily basis, absolutely. We're like, yep, I, I need a Brazilian, get everything in there for me, please. We, you know, we deal with razor burn because there's somebody we really like that we're hoping we'll get naked later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all of the amazing things we do to take care of our bodies that involve being nude. But as soon as there's blood involved, we're like, cover everything and don't talk to anybody. Don't look, don't look at me. I, nothing. And the idea of like free bleeding for anybody. I remember, I can't remember her name now. Um, I'll probably look it up later and remember, um, the Olympic runner who did a free bleed. Um, she's a drummer or musician now, or a poet now she, she does a lot of really great advocacy around, um, uh, period work. I actually have it in front of me, so I'm going to open it because otherwise I'm going to feel awful when we're listening back to this. Um, and we don't talk about it. Where is it here? Uh, but while, while that's going on, while I'm looking, um, it, it's just crazy to me how, yeah, in women's bodies, we are very much, we're taught, I think more than anything to be comfortable with getting nude for other people, less so for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if it comes to, you know, knowing what exactly is that our bodies do and that bleeding is normal and it's part of just existing in a female body that that's, oh my God, it's taboo. Absolutely. We cannot talk about that. And you can't let anybody know that you yeah. do it either. Right. So you, we might give you the tools maybe to take care of it, but you can't talk about it. Exactly. And there's like so many period products now, which is a good thing. Like there's the diva cup, there's pads, there's tampons. There's now like underwear that just like will absorb it all. Like there's so many things now, but I also like, I, as a 25 year old feel uneducated on half these things. Right. And like some of them I'm scared to use and I've heard horror stories. So when you hear other women saying terrifying things, you like boycott them. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You hear these horror stories about, you know, your IUD coming out stuck in your diva cup or, um, you know, the fragrances and, and processing of, of pads and things like that, that of course we're like, uh, no, thank you. I don't want anything to do with that. And we don't give anybody the opportunity to just ask those questions and say, Hey, I'm curious. I want to learn more about that. And is that true? Is that not true? How do I use that information to make decisions for myself around, you know, which period products I use? And, and even in cases where, yeah, something is like, for example, fragrances on, on menstrual products. Okay, cool. Where do I find it now on a label and what products can I use as an alternative? Um, it, it just kind of gives us that access to, choose the products that we want very much a, a a choice that very much pro-choice piece around it oh her name is Kiran Gandhi Um, she ran a 26.2 mile race free bleeding wow wow yeah like when you're just talking about products I was thinking like and that's the thing we have to go through so many phases of like figuring out what works for us and like that's a challenge like I I know that fragrance for me is a a no go that is like infection or like UTI territory. (laughs) Absolutely. I find for most folks, fragrance just doesn't sit right. I mean, you're putting it on this really delicate surface of your skin that it's probably going to irritate that. And I mean, exactly finding 
throughout your lifetime, what works best, or at least for the years that you're having a period. I know for me, I, and no offense to anybody listening who uses them, but I don't know how y'all use cardboard applicator tampons because it feels like they're going in sideways, man. Like (laughs) we need to abolish cardboard applicators. Stop. Stop. We can't do it anymore. My vagina can't take it. (laughs) (laughs) It's so crazy that we have so many things and it makes me like, there's always those like, um, like period drives almost where like you can donate, um, like tampons and pads. And I want to get more involved in that stuff because it's so like, a, it's expensive. Why? Like this happens to us every month. Exactly. (laughs) I believe it was somewhere. I want to say it was 2017 is when, uh, Canada removed the luxury tax on menstrual products because yeah, luxury. You know, I'm bleeding every month because I enjoy it. And it's, it's so luxurious for me. I'm toasting myself with champagne every time I do it. Love that for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I exactly. think it was, it was fairly recent, um, that that was removed, but there's still, I want to say 75% as of today, states in the U S that still have a luxury tax on menstrual products, but not on things like hot tubs or like Coke, like that's so crazy. And the amount of folks that are unable to access period products because they're incarcerated or they live in the Northern um, hemisphere in the Northern territories and seeing the cost of that both financially and emotionally, right? You're you're going through this really normal process. And not only are you shamed into having to just deal with that on your own, we're not even going to give you access to the things that would just help you feel like a regular human being. I know. Like it's, if you really start to read into it and you really start to educate yourself, you start to see how many flaws there are on such a natural process. Like this shouldn't be difficult for, for us. Exactly. Something that I always find really interesting to tell folks is that periods way, way back when we started really, I mean, I guess if you pinpoint it back further and further and further to like medieval times, Roman empire, et cetera, we were always using natural products like fabrics or leaves and things to absorb menstrual blood because you could wash them or you can throw them away, burn them, Mm -hmm. whatever. But we got into the twenties and thirties where now women were, um, you know, either shifting out of roles where they were supporting around wartime or um, were getting back into work because husbands and, and partners were leaving or just coming back type thing. Um, and now companies are starting to market bandages, for example, as something you could use as a, as a menstrual product. It's really hard to get people to use your product when they have something that works just as well at home. And so around, uh, I want to say mid-20s, companies started marketing periods as unsanitary and unhygienic because now you can tell people what you're doing is so bad for you, but it's okay. I have something that you can use. And so from these really early roots, we have this narrative that periods are dirty. And if you don't use our products, now they're unsanitary and they're unsafe. And we continue to repeat that rhetoric in our, in our schools. We call them sanitary products we call them feminine hygiene products when sanitation and hygiene have very little to do with having a period 
Exactly. Right? Yeah, that is so crazy. That's and I I actually was thinking about that during my massage. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if she knows the history of how like how people dealt with periods like how did they do that <laughs> yeah absolutely well and it's even funnier if you go back further to you know Egyptian times Roman Empire it was thought that um having a period assisted in balancing the four humors so these kind of fluids throughout the body that had different kind of impacts on thought and function and and whatnot and so that's where kind of like bloodletting came from is that you had 50% of your population that could just do it on a monthly basis without trying. <laughs> and when other people were ill, okay, you know what, we're going to try and balance this. Let's leech them or let's, oh my God. you know, cut them and let them bleed for a little bit because that might help. It seems to help these folks. And so <laughs> we were trying to replicate it back then, but at the same time, there were, you know, wives tales and stories that, uh, you know, a woman on her period could poison crops and oh um, you know spread illness and they can't eat together and you can't lay with them and on and on and on and while we've certainly moved on in a in a <laughs> lot of places from Roman Empire thinking um, there is still a lot of shame and stigma around the things that you, you can and can't do when you're on a period for sure. And I feel like maybe not even good education, for example, like my doctor just throwing me on birth control to fix, fix the problem. So what kind of information or how can you speak on how we can do that naturally? Like, how do you deal with the cramps or whatever your symptoms are naturally? Yeah, absolutely. I find that, yeah, that's a, a really common story. You would go into a, a physician's office and say, hey, you know, my period's really wacky, really weird, really heavy. And they go, yeah, we'll just give you birth control. Um, birth control essentially works to um, kind of suppress your natural hormone cycling as a means of either changing the pH of the uterus and the composition of mucus so that sperm can't get through. Um, but also prevents ovulation and ovulation, regardless of whether a person is trying to conceive or not, um, is kind of the main event of a cycle leading to a period. And when we look at, you know, a lot of those contributing factors, such as, you know, bleeding excessively or really heavy cramping, I like to get a good look at, okay, what do hormone levels look like? So I might have, uh, have a client go through with their doctor and have a full hormone panel done. Some hormones such as estrogen when they're really high can contribute to increased breast tenderness or really heavy clotting with a period or significant water retention, which might, you know, might present as weight gain for that person. Um, others such as, you know, progesterone, if they're too low, then we're seeing that cycles are really short and they're bleeding more than once a month or so. Um, and so one of the biggest things that I like to make sure people are doing is actually eating enough during the day. When we're not eating regularly, we're not getting quite enough to eat. Our body has to turn off our hormones in order to kind of prevent a period from happening. Procreating is not essential to survival. Louder in the back for people who think so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so when our body's in this kind of starvation mode, this fight or flight mode, it has to turn a period off. It's not essential. It's not going to be of benefit to continue using energy that way. And so in order to make sure that we're getting just a regular period, we want to make sure we have regular fuel for the body tissues. Other nutrients that really come into play around, you know, 
reducing cramping and managing other discomfort would be things like magnesium, which we get from dark chocolate, we get from, you know, nuts and seeds and from lots of protein type of products and whole grains, because magnesium helps with muscle relaxation. Um, so instead of, you know, taking, and for some people that do, it works really well, but instead of taking big supplements of magnesium, we're just adding it in through food and chocolate mm -hmm. around a period. I don't know about you, but that sounds, <laughs> sounds pretty intriguing to me. <laughs> Same. If I could find a, a dark chocolate mint, I'm down. Ooh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I might've seen one at like a, a pharmacy. They've got all the crisps here out. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a chocolate mint chocolate kind of gal. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, another piece that ties into more specifically the estrogen component is getting enough fiber. So our liver, as much as I feel weird saying it, our liver is a really big detox organ in the body. Cause when I hear detox, I go, Oh my God, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our liver breaks down things basically when we're done using them. So alcohol, drugs mm -hmm. like alcohol or cannabis, et cetera, um, as well as our hormones. So when we're done using them, we break them down and we remove them from the body. So we want to support getting enough fiber so that our liver can keep blood sugar balanced and still do all this estrogen breakdown. And because that byproduct of breakdown is left, it kind of leaves the body through both stool and through urine. We want to make sure someone's really well hydrated and we're getting that fiber to help stimulate bowel movements. We're getting extra estrogen out of the body. There's a myth that you have to poop once a day to keep your estrogen levels in check. And for a lot of people I work with, that's just not the case. So as long as you're going regularly and it's comfortable, Mm -hmm. I find that those can be really big advantages for reducing those PMS and period symptoms. Interesting. How does one go about getting like this hormone test? Like, do you just go to your doctor and say, hi, please test all my hormones? <laughs> I find for a lot of folks, yeah, it can be very easy. Some doctors that don't have a lot of knowledge or experience in that area might not test all hormones or might not have the ability to ask a lab to test some things. So in those cases, I often suggest folks ask their doctor for a referral to either a specialist gynecologist who might do more fertility type testing, again, regardless of whether they're trying to conceive or not, or working with a reproductive endocrinologist because they typically have a better understanding of sex hormones and what those should or shouldn't look like. Whereas a general physician or a family doctor knows a little bit about everything, but this is a particular area I haven't seen many family doctors have a really good grasp at. Okay. Yeah, no, my family doctor is, is it a white man. Is yes. It a white man? Yes. <laughs> and he happens to also do like cosmetic work in his practice as well now. So he's a family oh. doctor and injects Botox, which he tends to favor. And he does look like he's a little frozen in time. Like he's Love just- Love that for him. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the nurse that I typically see, like the, our nurse practitioner, she's the one that does all of the girly stuff. So of I course. see her for all of my, I usually see her for everything because- I've had countless issues with my, my body, um, in terms of women's health, like periods, birth control, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, but she's only in two days a week. So like Tuesdays and Thursdays in the morning. So it's really fun to get an appointment. Absolutely. But my question was uh, when you were saying like gynecologists and all of these things is 
you know, I'm 25. So maybe I should have a gynecologist. Is that something that you would suggest like every, like women should seek out, like to get your own gynecologist this young, or is that something that they only really need when they're trying to conceive and stuff like that? That's a fantastic question. I find it really depends on the person. So in many cases, when we're working with kind of a male general physician who's knowledge based, because there are some that are great, mm-hmm. um, isn't amazing. I often suggest, yeah, seeing getting your own gynecologist and you can do all of your PAPs with them. You can yeah. uh, do more of that fertility counseling with them if that's an area where a person is working. Um, or just having questions about periods about birth control. That's where they have a lot of um, knowledge. And so if your family physician's not great at it um, or says, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in this area, I'd prefer you saw a specialist that can work. But I've also, and I've been really lucky myself, um, having a female family doctor who had a really good knowledge base that I feel perfectly comfortable if I have a question about a period or um, wanna talk about birth control, I'm happy to go to her. Um, because not only is she female, but she does have more of that knowledge and experience because being female or living in a female body doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, exactly what's going on in it, right? It gives an advantage in some cases, but isn't perfect. So I would say even for folks who are, you know, 16, 18, if you would prefer to work with someone specially around, you know, birth control and pap smears, getting a gynecologist is absolutely appropriate. Yeah. I think I'm going to look into that. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> and about they, have time. Better, they have better chairs from my knowledge <laughs> that you go into a family doctor's office for a pap smear and they like lay you on the awkward little table and they don't have stirrups, or at least this is my experience. No, they don't. <laughs> and so you're just all like weirdly positioned, leaning against the wall. And they're like, okay, relax. And I'm like, Sure, I guess I'll try. But when you go to a gynecologist's office, at least they have a more comfortable chair that you can get into. Yeah. Can right? we talk about like paps and how terrifying that can be and the contractions right? that they bring out? <laughs> I honestly, it blows my mind how like uncomfortable not only a pap is, but how uncomfortable that they're made out to be. Like here, I'm going to just warm up with like my hands in my gloves, this metal thing. I'm going to just insert into your vagina with a little bit of lube and I'm going to like glop it on there. So when you stand up, it's all going to fall out and you're going to be walking home with like wet panties and not even in a good way. Like (laughs) exactly. And then we're like, all right, that's done. And just pull it out. Okay. Have a nice day. We'll email, we'll, you know, we'll mail you the results. We'll call you. Yeah. And like you walk out of there completely violated and like they just scraped your insides and you're like, cool, 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 cool. Love this for me. And I didn't even get dinner out of it. And there's, I have another story. I got, uh, I got an ultrasound because I, I've always had problems, honestly, in that area. We thought that I had cysts or something, which I have had. So I went and got an ultrasound. I wasn't told that it was going to be an internal ultrasound. So I show up, I have to pee so bad because they made me drink so much water. I show up like damn near ready to just cry and pee my pants. And so I get in there and she's like, okay, it's like this internal one. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, if you put anything down there, I'm going to pee on you. I'm pretty literally going to pee on you. <laughs> yeah. And then she tries and she's like, oh, you have too much water in your bladder. So then she makes me go and pee a little bit out. 
and I have to only do a little bit and then come back. And then I didn't, I had never, I don't know. I just, I guess I never really realized that there was internal ones or I didn't realize that they were going to do that for me because I was like not pregnant. You know, I was like, oh, this is just going to be like an over the stomach one. Um, no, (laughs) (laughs) sadly you were mistaken. (laughs) And then they bring out this big ass wand and like slop a condom on it. It's so much loop. And then just like completely violate you. And then she's like, oh, just relax. I'm like, I don't really know if I can. I don't know if I'm capable of relaxing in this situation. This is awful. (laughs) These are just one of these things that women go through and we like, don't really openly talk about, but I have like, you know, we all have these stories, right? I have seen, if it's any consolation, I have seen more and more um, buzz about developments with the speculum. So the actual tool that they use. Oh, good. Where not only does it open kind of up and down, but it also opens sideways. So we're getting a better picture of the cervix without having to open it so goddamn much. Um, I also wish that they talked about IUD insertion a little more clearly. Because, and I, I, I'll be honest, I just learned this earlier this year. I don't have an IUD. I've never used an IUD, but I have clients that do have one. And we hear from women that when they had their IUD inserted, it was the most painful thing that has ever happened to them in their life. And yep. when you talk to women who've had children, they go, it was worse than when I had children. <laughs> that oh they use a tool. So not only do we open up the vagina with a speculum, but now we have this fun this silly goofy mood of a tool called a tenaculum and it's basically like super pointy tweezers that point inward and we use it to hold or not we I say we as if I perform these (laughs) procedures in the women's health world I speak for the collective of healthcare I suppose they use it to hold the cervix in place and so in order to do that it pinches it by kind of grabbing like in the way you would like pierce an ear or the way that you would pierce any like an eyebrow we pierce the cervix to hold it in place and then they insert the iud and do you receive sedation or any sort of medication for this no they tell you to maybe take a tylenol before you go in and so oh yeah and also by the way you might you might spot a little bit when it's over yeah because you just gave my cervix like a nose ring man just to put this little And it's, ugh. and I've heard stories where folks have asked their doctors, like, well, why didn't anybody tell me? And the response is, well, if we told people what we had to do to put it in there, nobody would have them. Well, yeah, yeah. Shit. Exactly. no shit. Maybe we should come up with less barbaric ways of helping people not get pregnant. Like, I don't know, male birth control. Oh yes. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> like it is freaking wild the things that we have to go through and the contraptions and the drugs and the all of these things like I could talk about it for hours it just makes no sense to me that like we are the species that was or the the female version of the species that was just you know voluntold we have to exactly. go through all hey, this guess what so we're gonna put this organ in your body that renovates itself every month and if you don't <laughs> fill it with a baby we're gonna rip it down and then rebuild it until we set the whole thing on fire and, you yeah. won't and if you anymore, but you'll be burning yeah. alive. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to manage the, the period you have, we have, you know, multiple barbaric ways to do so. <laughs> that is going to mess up with the entire makeup of your body and your exactly. hormones. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not to say that there aren't people out there that really benefit from using birth control. Or well, using good for birth. them. <laughs> good for them. I, you know what? I imagine they're out there. I probably haven't met you yet, but I'm sure you're out there. Um, people, even just within this last year that I've helped come off of birth control and the amount of kind of holistic work we have to do around getting their hormones back into play. Because if you think about it, we're putting in these synthetic hormones to get this period figured out. So now we, re- we have this person on, you know, birth control for this many years and we take them off. Well, their hormones have been basically dormant this whole time. And so we're seeing not always, but in a lot of cases, this kind of withdrawal type syndrome mm-hmm. where they're exhausted all the time and weight might be fluctuating and they, you know, they're breaking out and they feel so icky because we don't tell them, okay, when you come off of this, we do have to prep your body for it because this is potentially a really big transition for your body, given the amount of time you've been on it. And then we don't act surprised when they go back to their doctor saying, I hated it, put me back on. Yeah. And we end up in this cycle of, I can't be on birth control anymore. And I don't know any other way, but I can't not use birth control. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a huge thing. A lot of us feel like I, well, I can't not be on something. Like I have to be on something and I feel the same way. And I've been on it for, you know, nearly 10 years, which is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, I've been on seven, I'm on my seventh different pill because I had issues with so many and my doctor, um, this one that I'm on now has worked okay. Um, but she said like, this is the last one I will put you on. Like we cannot keep doing this. Um, so I'm on one right now that it is like, you take them all the way through. There's no sugar pill. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I just stop for a week to like, let it bleed. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but it's the one that they typically put on, uh, give women when they're breastfeeding. So after they have a baby, it's that one <laughs> and it's been okay, but walk me through the process of what it maybe is to come off birth control and what do you suggest to your clients and how do you transition your body? For sure. Ideally, I like to take a really big chunk of time before a person officially comes off of birth control. Mm -hmm. And by big chunk of time, I mean like four to six months, total running time. We usually start removing that birth control around month three to four. Um, But this kind of total management of that process takes a much longer length of time because we know that hormone health happens through our digestive system. We're really prioritizing GI health. So um, whether that's assessing, okay, are we getting enough fiber here? Do we need to toss in probiotics? Do we need to make sure that regularity is okay? Whether that is through, you know, short-term use of of a stool softener, or um, a supplement that just keeps them moving. We're making sure fluids, whether they're, you know, hot, cold in between that those are happening. We want to uh, keep the liver really well supported. So we're keeping blood sugar stable with regular eating, including proteins and fats and fiber throughout the day. Um, I never like to recommend removing anything like sugar um, because research shows us that that just makes us overeat them later. Mm-hmm. Um, and makes us feel awful when we could just enjoy them along with any other food. Um, and we're also opening up other types of kind of detox pathways in the body. So 
making sure that we've got physical activity where a person can sweat comfortably, um, that they're getting enough sleep, that we're using, um, you know, less, less ingredient or less heavy ingredient cleaning products or makeup or hair products, things that are directly on their skin or around their skin uh, that be, can be kind of blocking that kind of cleansing that the body does naturally. We don't have to really take anything over and above food and based on the person, some supplements, there's not really any sort of detox that's required or um, cleanse. I find that those are just going to leave people feeling hungry and potentially suffering with tons of diarrhea because tummy tea is just a laxative hot take. You don't need to shit yourself to be a healthy body. Uh, Gosh, so true. (laughs) And we're also looking at, okay, where can we learn more about this person's cycle so that if they're not using birth control, but their goal is to avoid pregnancy or to plan a pregnancy. I work a lot with folks around getting to know the symptothermal method or within what we call fertility awareness methods. So we use things like basal body temperature. We look at cervical fluid or cervical mucus and cervical height. So with basal body temperature, we're taking a temperature reading first thing in the morning before they get out of bed. And we're tracking that over time. Our body temperature actually increases before we ovulate. And so that can be helpful for folks who are planning a pregnancy. Now they can time sex so that we're getting sperm and an egg, hopefully in the same place at the same time. But for folks who are avoiding a pregnancy, now we know, okay, these are not safe times to have unprotected sex. So we're either using another form of birth control, like internal or external condoms, or just abstaining for a period of time. And when that temperature stays high for about four days afterwards, that after that spike happens, okay, now we know that those are safer days to engage in unprotected sex. With cervical fluids, it also changes like temperature does over a cycle. So During a period, of course, it's harder to tell if someone's fertile or not because there's blood coloring it. So we can't really Mm -hmm. see. And there's usually a couple dry days afterwards that there's no discharge, no mucus, no fluid. Then we start to see fluid that looks more like the best way I've come to describe it is that it's kind of creamy, almost like a more liquid body butter where it's not really, it's not chunky. It's not, um, you know, really, really heavy by any means, but we're starting to get kind of a creamy consistency to it. As the body moves into ovulation and is more fertile, it starts to look thinner and wetter, more like egg whites. Mm -hmm. For some folks that are really heavily tracking, you can actually hold it between two fingers and stretch it, which is super interesting. So we call that kind of peak day. Okay. And after we stop seeing that peak fluid kind of moves back down to creamy consistency, that person's not really fertile anymore. And then a period happens again with cervical height. And this is my favorite thing to tell people because we were (laughs) partially taught it wrong in school. So the cervix connecting the vagina and the uterus is lower during a period and before. So kind of after a period, before a period um, and when we're not fertile, when it's lower in the body, it's actually, it feels like the tip of your nose. So we learned that, that, you know, your cervix feels like the tip of your nose. I remember that in grade nine. However, when we're moving closer to that ovulation and more fertile state, 
the cervix actually gets higher and softer. So it starts to feel more like your lips versus your nose. And it's slightly open because if, uh, you know, we're planning a pregnancy, we want sperm to get in there and then comes back down lower and is harder. So we put this full thing together as this symptothermal method that now we're tracking fertility as either a means to avoid a pregnancy or to plan a pregnancy. It takes a couple of cycles to get comfortable. And most folks feel best just starting with one of the three before they add them all together. Um, I lovingly call them the trifecta when I work with my clients. <laughs> so we'll look at their charts and we're like, okay, look, cool. This is awesome. So this is where you probably ovulated. Okay. And now we're going to count this many days after, and you should be expecting a period. Or if there's no period, we can start taking some pregnancy tests and see what's happened in there. Um, so I find that that can be one of the things we start talking about at the beginning of that six month process. So by the time we're removing birth control, we're continuing all this nutrition stuff. And then we're really diving into, okay, now our tracking is going to be more intensive. It's going to be more consistent so that we can use that as birth control versus we're going to remove birth control and just hope for the best. Hmm. That's so interesting. Like I'm learning so much. I had no idea. And it's, it's almost like, I don't want to say embarrassing because I'm not embarrassed. I'm happy to learn, but why do I not know these things? You know, like why have I not been taught? Absolutely. I was geeking out for my partner, teaching him about it because he (laughs) hears me on, you know, uh, video calls with clients and I come home, I'm like, you're not going to believe the type of women I had today. It was amazing. And so I'm showing him all these diagrams and I'm explaining it to him. And he said the, probably the most accurate thing. He's like, wow, I think I understand now why you guys don't learn a lot about your periods, because if you knew what your cycles look like and you can manage them, now you can have sex as much as you want and you're not going to end up having any children, which for the patriarchy is awful because we only <laughs> want women to have sex when men want to have sex. And every time they have sex, we want them to have children and we don't give them a choice on mm. that. Right. So it's of course so we crazy. don't learn it. Yeah. And as we were just talking about discharge as well, that's another topic that people just straight up don't talk about. Um, and it's a very natural thing that people, ex- women ex- of the female body experience literally all the time. Literally. My question was, I was thinking like, if, if you're on birth control, if you're on hormones, do those types of mucuses still have the same reasoning? Like why, how does that work? Yeah. So with birth control, because most types are preventing ovulation, we might mm-hmm. not see the same transition to fertile mucus as, or discharge as we normally would but some types of birth control can cause other types of discharge, right? We're essentially making the uterus an uninhabitable place in the event there's a accidental meeting of an egg and a sperm. So um, discharge might be thicker. Discharge might have a different color to it. Um, There might not be any at all through a cycle. And now a person is really dry. Um, You know, whether that be just, you know, underwear wise, or if they're engaging in sex and they're needing more lubrication to make that happen comfortably. Um, I find that the biggest thing is more so that we're not seeing the same transition to fertility type mucus, uh, mm-hmm. but we might see other discharge just as a result of what birth control does to the body. And would that just be like the stuff that you get on birth control more? Is it just like your body cleaning itself out? Like what kind of, what does that indicate? Yeah, absolutely. The, so we call the vagina a self-cleaning oven Mm -hmm. because it does all its own work. 
So in the same way that, or at least the way that I like to describe it to people, the same way that your nose kind of catches bacteria and helps you clean it out, you know, you're blowing your nose or um, we have all the little hairs and stuff in our nose. We don't have that same type of obviously hair in our inside our vagina, mm-hmm. um, but it serves the same type of purpose in that if there's small amounts of bacteria and tissue that's dead and doesn't need to be there anymore, it's just continually cleaning that out as part of how that organ works. So there's zero need for things like feminine washes or douches or um, yoni steaming. Um, we don't need that because our bodies will just do that part on its own. It's, it's a, we talk about it in, in the healthcare world with a very clinical aspect to it without really considering a lot of the emotional psychological piece that comes with it, because there's so much shame, not just around periods, but around discharge. And I, it's not that it's weird to use that word for it, but we think discharge and we think like a pimple, we're like, Oh, pus (laughs) and gross and icky or a wound. And there's a lot of judgment from folks, both internally and externally, you know, we're, we've got our, our Saturday night hookup and we're leaving and we're like, Oh my God, I'm just going to place my panties a certain way. So they can't see that it's down the middle. Um, or if we're finishing a period and we're, and we're spotting, we're like, Oh my God, like if I'm doing the laundry, I have to do it separately. I don't want anybody to see, even though that's such a natural process outside of a period that yeah, Mm -hmm. the body makes fluids to keep it clean. The same way we wash our skin from the outside, our vaginas clean themselves from the inside. Exactly. Yeah. And you're right. There's a huge stigma and like I've experienced it. I felt embarrassed from it, but you know, the older I get, I'm like, well, this is my body. (laughs) Just, this is how it happens. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, and there, there comes this bit of pride too, in kind of owning it as well, that yes, absolutely. My vagina is acidic enough. I can burn through fucking clothes. (laughs) Like, do not mess with me because maybe I'll burn through your clothes too. <laughs> well, that's, another- <laughs> that's another thing that's about um, talking about like pH. Cause I was like, that's always like, for example, on the like female products, let's say summer's Eve, you'll see like pH balancing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? And that that falls very much in line with the same language you use around periods that now it's a feminine wash because, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, your feminine is so dirty and gross and icky that if you use our wash, it's okay though, because it'll just keep the pH balanced. The body is really cool that it manages its own pH really well, because if Mm -hmm. our pH becomes imbalanced, literally anywhere, our bodies could fail. And so there's tons of different systems in place to prevent that from happening. Our uterus, our vagina is one of those places where it does a pretty good job balancing its own pH. Of course, if we're sick or we're taking certain medications or we're using birth control or we're having potentially unsafe, unprotected sex where we have things that are gross going into our bodies, then yeah, we're introducing bacteria. And if over time, those things kind of accumulate. Yeah. We kind of impact that pH in general, but using feminine washes is just another way that we kind of perpetuate the idea that the, the vagina is dirty and that it, it needs to be hidden and cleaned and needs to smell like flowers. Like that's just not, 
and yeah, you don't see like a ball wash going around the stores right meanwhile you get chad <laughs> who does a shake off after he's done in the bathroom <laughs> and wants to go like bareback like no <laughs> but i'm playing with dirty genitals are you kidding me exactly like you walk through that aisle you're gonna see all the female products and then you're gonna see lube and you're gonna see condoms but you're not gonna see like a men's genital doll wash single masculine hygiene like I think we need to talk more about that we need to talk about masculine hygiene because y'all don't have it you don't (laughs) have it (laughs) it's so true maybe it just made us like so hyper aware that we're always like oh it needs to smell good down there (laughs) exactly exactly and and that's that again yeah that's one of those kind of stories that we we talk about periods we talk about um womanhood that womanhood is this stinky weird thing that you know we we shouldn't talk about and we shouldn't have resources for when it yeah the sorry the vulva doesn't smell like flowers it smells like skin it smells like um you know tissue that that's what it is it has a function to it and just like anything yeah you just keep your body clean and it's not going to smell like garbage or fish. Sure. Yeah. And <laughs> also part of like you talking about nutrition, also what you're eating, what you're putting into your body can definitely change. I maybe I'm wrong, but that down there. Cause I find when I let's say, for example, you're eating way too much like fast food. There's a difference in how your body smells after that. <laughs> for sure. Well, you think about it as because skin naturally is, is one of those really big detox organs that we have through metabolism in general. But yeah, when we're potentially not eating foods that are super nutrient dense, we're sweating out compounds that we are getting from food in general. And so fast food has a different aroma to it than, um, you know, vegetarian lentil pitas do. But my fa- one of the, the most interesting things, particularly when it comes to vaginal health, Diet, we haven't found to have a really significant impact on things like vaginal pH or even the risk of yeast infections. There's a really big myth that eating lots and lots of sugar can increase the risk of yeast infections, but we haven't found research to show that that actually translates because we've in more obviously mice studies, um, we've kind of made conditions where there is a yeast infection and we've taken sugar out or we left it there and it didn't really change the outcome of it. Hmm. When there's other issues around sugar, like diabetes, for example, there are some medications that um, might increase the risk of yeast infections, typically because a person is peeing more often. And if there's more sugar in their urine, then yeah, it's obviously around those tissues. But I think that might have more to do with kind of overall cleanliness versus anything specifically in those fluids, in those tissues, right? You know, it, it would be like, if we're not peeing after sex, then yeah, there's bacteria in that area that can potentially increase the risk for a UTI or a bladder infection or a yeast infection. We're yep. kind of disrupting that pH there from a diet perspective, while it certainly might change individual smells and flavors at the chemical level and health wise, it might not have the same impact. Mm-hmm. I, I unfortunately suffer from a like reoccurring UTIs. I've, this has happened since I was honestly, probably since I started birth control, <laughs> I want to say like 16, 
I don't know if there's a correlation there, but now that I'm thinking about it, um, and it's just, it's just always happened to me. I don't know why the doctors don't really ever tell me why this is happening. And I feel like I'm, I'm meticulous about making sure that I am like healthy down there. And I'm, I'm very cautious and I watch what's going on, but I was always told, and this is maybe a myth, but like to avoid certain things. Like if I, if I, if I get a UTI, don't drink coffee. Um, and a couple other things, which might be true, might not be, but those are just things that I'm told. And like, I'm sitting here saying to you, I don't know if they're true. (laughs) For sure. Right. When it comes to a UTI, I think a lot of it has to do with, in terms of foods to avoid anything that might create some irritation in the tissues. So, um, you know, if our urine is more concentrated because we're drinking all coffee and no water, then yeah, coffee might be irritating, but you might just need more water as well. Or just like the, um, you know, use cranberry juice or take cranberry products may prevent UTIs, right? Mm -hmm. They might, we don't have a lot of good research to show that they absolutely do. But Mm -hmm. in my mind, if it's included as part of a healthy overall eating pattern, go for it. Sure. Um, I always wonder too, with like recurrent UTIs, we often put the onus on the person of, okay, you keep, you keep having these, um, you know, reproductive looking area type things happen to you what are you doing wrong but I also like to look at you know are there potentially structural things that our genetics have put into place that are bigger contributors so you know is the passageway from the bladder to the ureter is it big enough is it too small and now stuff's getting stuck and or irritated more easily um you know is there um you know, what kind of products are you using? And, and maybe they're, they're touching in places where they shouldn't be. So, you know, a regular body wash that's getting into tissues where, you know, you just need water, um, mm-hmm. things like that versus, okay, now you have a UTI, you should probably just not do this and don't drink that and don't eat that. Yeah. And here's an I antibiotic. Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's an antibiotic and don't call me when you're done with it. Cause I don't, that much (laughs) yeah yeah I've been told like everything under the sun like change your laundry detergent um like everything it's just it's been everything but I mean I think I've got a good handle on my female health recently because it hasn't happened in a long time it's been a while so fingers crossed (laughs) (laughs) but again it's just one of those things that like you're embarrassed like I used to be embarrassed to say like this is what's happening to me to like my I was engaged before my ex-fiance I'd say like I have like a UTI right now. And it was embarrassing to me, but I was like, why? Like, it's just something exactly. It's just something that's happening to me. Right. Yeah. We, we definitely don't allow the same space to talk about feminine health, women's health, reproductive health in general, um, outside of the realm of either getting pregnant or not getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't, we don't talk about the little day-to-day things like um, you know, when constipation happens mid cycle, because you're ovulating or yeah, you have a UTI or, you know, you're having lots of sex and now you've got a weird rash. And like, we just don't allow conversations about that, um, kind of stuff, which can be so unfortunate because there's a lot of cases where, yeah, those things can be remedied really easily, but we leave Mm -hmm. people like for weeks in shame and in pain being like, I can't, I don't know who to talk to about this. I can't talk about this. This is embarrassing. Another example being, let's say, um, 
like you're not producing enough discharge naturally and like sex hurts for you mm-hmm. and then you're embarrassed and then you feel like it's your fault or or I've I've had friends say like I just feel bad because like it's hurting me I'm like why do you feel bad like this exactly. you shouldn't feel bad about this exactly well and I've had occasions where because I have super sensitive skin in general Mm-hmm. Um, and I've struggled with acne for a long time. And more recently, obviously, as I'm getting older, it's improving. Um, but I've had like pimples in the worst places. And I remember going to have a pap done with like this super inflamed and really angry pimple, oh. but it hadn't come to a head yet. And I remember the nurse practitioner just giving me the weirdest look like, are you sure it's a pimple? Or are you sure that you're just not like, maybe you slept with the wrong person? And I'm like, um, it's a pimple. I know my body pretty well. Um, thanks though. Like I'll just be sure to never, ever come to talk to you if that's ever the case. Right. So we, we want to make people more comfortable talking about it, but then they show up and we're like, mm, you did that to yourself. Like, well, yeah. Yep. Yep. The being woman is a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. You got that right. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this, but here I, didn't I am. ask for this. I didn't ask for this. Exactly. Well, Emily, thank you so much for sharing all your information. I feel like we could probably talk forever. So we maybe will have to have another episode. <laughs> absolutely. I, I agree. And not because I'm biased, but I think that, yes, absolutely. I, it is a ever continuing conversation. <laughs> and I, I love it. And I love to educate people, especially because I'm sitting here feeling like I didn't know half these things. You're teaching me so much. And I'm like, probably our population should know these things. <laughs> so if we right. can put the knowledge out there i'd feel you heard it here first folks if you didn't get this education in school you're getting it now you're gonna learn today (laughs) exactly (laughs) especially for all us catholic school girls like oh my god yeah i got nothing period health for catholic girls (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that'd be we should make a whole segment (laughs) a whole series the things that your pastor didn't teach you about oh my gosh (laughs) thank you so much emily we will definitely be in touch and i hope to hear from you soon and i love watching all your stuff and learning from you so thank you so much thank you so much it's been (laughs) such a blast getting to chat with you (laughs) thank you that's it that's all for this episode i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you got a good giggle out of the stories and just the episode in general and i hope it taught you something i hope as a woman you're able to relate and have a good laugh and i really hope to continue these conversations especially because i just felt honestly like i learned so much so thank you so much emily you are a fantastic guest and i would love to continue the conversation with you and have you share your knowledge um with my listeners so thank you so much i enjoyed recording with you and i hope my listeners i hope you guys really really enjoyed listening to her talk um as usual if you could subscribe follow i would greatly appreciate it and leave a review um five stars would be ideal um and 
follow us on Instagram. So me, your host, Hallie, at Hallie Marina, and the podcast at Sweet Sometimes Sour. If you are on Spotify, I think you can follow the podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe. So please, please, please do that. And I will leave all of Emily's contact information in the description of the episode. So go take a look at what she has to offer and all of her great knowledge and go follow her on Instagram. And hopefully you'll hear from her soon again on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great Christmas holiday. Mm